AWS Developers Podcast. My name is Linda. I'm here with Dave. And today we have an amazing guest. His name is Mateus Gamarais. He's a senior developer advocate for the UK and Ireland and so much more. I can't get, wait. His energy lights up a room. So I'm excited for you all to hear his voice and to get going. He has an amazing story as well. So hello, Mateus. Hello. How are you? I am I am really, really, really good, honestly. I just coming off a little bit of not time off totally, but my family was visiting, so I'm kinda I feel relaxed. I feel like, you know, ready to go again. I, I you know, I get to see you on camera here and I see your background with the guitar and the emojis yeah. and all this stuff. I, I always Commodore sixty four shirt too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that shirt. Well, I'm a gamer, so everything Commodore sixty four. I I game since the Atari times. That kinda tells my age without me having to say. Yeah, and uh Ast yeah. asteroids. And I know Sequest, but yeah, and uh, I'm a big gamer, and I love music, and I love I love emojis too. I guess that's why they're in the shelf. <laughs> well, I can't wait to get into all that. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, first, your role, your developer advocate, and yeah. what you do, but here at AWS, and how how long have you been here? Yeah, so I joined during the pandemic. I was one of those that joined during weird times when everything was virtual, my interview was virtual, my introduction to the team was virtual, and I didn't actually to meet my team until a year later. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was really weird experience. But uh, yeah, so that means I've been here for about three years, it's gonna be three years in November, and I transitioned uh, to a different role. So I started as a solutions architect for the retail vertical, enterprise retail, and here in the UK. And then uh, last year, April last year, I became the um, senior developer advocate for the UK and Ireland, which in a nutshell, as I usually say, it, it means that I look after the awareness, the adoption and the love for AWS in the UK and Ireland. I love it. How do you explain usually developer advocacy? That's how I explain it because it's just, there's so much. The thing is, there are a kind of different uh, roles within developer advocacy itself even. So it's quite, you know, it's quite varied. Like my position is, it's kind of like 50%, not 50, I don't know what the percentage is, but like largely administrative because I look after the region. I am the technical strategy for my region. A strategist. I'm not the strategy myself because that would be a disaster. I am the strategist for the region, and yeah. which means you know I have to constantly be looking out for whether we have enough materials and events and opportunities for people to learn about AWS and get excited about AWS. You know, and and then also there is the more DA side that is the one that everybody thinks about, which is content creation, is public speaking, it's uh, articles and blogs and book writing, why not, you know? So yeah, I just need to find time for everything. <laughs> well, you're doing yeah. it all. You're like a speaker bar raiser. The AWS group that comes out of Dublin, some of the closest oh. people, just amazing. Like you don't really understand until you're in Europe, just the power of that group, the, the, uh, the days that they put on, you know, Colin's out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ron, Ron, that's run, runs it. And, I was gonna say uh, Ron, like the, yeah. yeah. And I mean, he take he took me to the uh, the the music museum, and you know, uh, we had we raised a a glass of uh, I, I guess uh, what do they call it? A, a, a pint of the dark, right? Uh -huh. of the Guinness there, in one of uh, the oldest places. Like you have Temple District, and you, like that whole street, uh -huh. like just the feeling of community that you all have for AWS. Yeah. It's like an a it's it's like a little mini summit, like all the time. Honestly, and, all the time, isn't like, it? I haven't seen it anywhere else. I just love it. And, and someone like Rona is ridiculous because he's like a ridiculous event manager. I mean, his events yes. are something else. It's like I talked to him. I said, oh, okay, you're going to do the whole doubling thing. He was like, yeah, could you, you know, help me out with some swagger? Sure. So what are you going to be doing? How many people? I don't know, like 200, 400. What? <laughs> and it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, and I have the uh, Lord Mayor coming and opening it. I was like, what? Yeah. The, what? And I'm going to have this reality, uh, virtual reality. Like, he's insane. Like, he did in a music a music uh, venue once, like yeah. a band and everything is like, he, he's insane. Like it's he had me so cool. on stage with John Gomez playing Doom 2. So as a gamer, yes, you know, he did the Dom, the Doom event. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So just, just incredible. How did you get, what's, what's your journey to tech? How did you even get to where you are now and doing this super cool job? Our, our audience loves, I'm constantly getting asked, you know, how do I, 
one, how do I start a, a job in cloud? But two, how do I get into AWS? And what mm. the heck is a developer advocate? Yeah. The problem that I have is that we have a uh, limited time in this podcast. So I'm going to have to You're try to figure back out anytime. somehow how I say this succinctly. My journey to tech is a bit of an unusual one because I do have too many passions in life. And I, and um, I, my personal belief is I only got this one life and, um, and I want to experience it all. I, I, I just love being alive and I feel everything we do is a celebration of being alive. That's why I learned in my 30s to start owning everything I do, whether it's cringe, embarrassing, horrible, whatever. It's all me. Right. And that means I'm alive. That's why I did that, you know? So, um, so love yeah, it. I'm kind of the kind of person that combined with insomnia, which I had when I was young, you know, just wanted to do it all. And I feel like I've done it all. So I didn't really focus my efforts on tech. It was kind of incidental that I ended up here. Wow. My focus when I was young was actually in the arts mostly. So I was doing uh, acting and uh, music and I, I self-taught English when I was seven and then I started working with it. So when I was like 16, I was teaching English in English schools in Brazil. Sorry, I forgot to say I'm from Brazil. So in Sao Paulo. And then I start, uh, and then I got involved with that. Then I did subtitling for HBO for Who's the Boss? I know it's a com. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tony so, Danza. Tony Danza. Yeah, I was subtitling him. Uh, and, and then, you know, so I was doing all this stuff and I wanted to be an actor. I was a teenager. I actually was in a, in two episodes of a series and then I, I started writing scripts and I sold scripts. So I started getting heavily involved with that kind of stuff. But the family wasn't really a fan of the path much. And, uh, and then I had another dream. And the other dream was that I really wanted to just see the world and not just see as in tourism. Yeah. I wanted to experience it. I wanted to be out there. I was, since I'm very little, I had, I just had this awareness that there is a planet and this thing called Brazil, Sao Paulo, whatever it was, was just a tiny little drawing on a map that some man decided, you know, to draw. And I was like, no, yeah. there's a planet out there, you know? So is, I, uh, Mark Twain, you just remind Mark Twain quote, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. It's wow. true. That's a great quote because I'm a, I really believe in that. Yeah. There's something that happens with you when you live in other places, not just tourism, like I'm saying, it opens up your mind. I was literally talking to my Japanese friend about it the other day. Like it, it's just, you cannot describe, it just opens your mind uh, and yeah. your heart as well. So, and they knew I had this fascination with the US, right? Mostly down to Madonna and Freddy Krueger, but that's a different story. And then, so I was dying to go to America. I had the American dream, I guess, in my head. I wanted to speak perfect American English. I wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to be American, all that stuff. It was a huge fire inside of me. And there was an international seminar. That was, I don't know the title, but like Seminar for International English Teachers. That's what it was in San Diego. It was a two-week thing at San Diego State University. And uh, I went there for that. So my mom was like, okay, you can go there. It's two weeks. And it, great. So I went to New York first for three days because my dream was to see the Phantom of the Opera. Oh so, my gosh, um, so I had to go. Yeah. I saw it. I went there in Broadway. I saw Phantom. I saw Street 47, I think is where it was, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Or oh, I stayed on 47, whatever it was. I don't remember. But the big anyway. chandelier comes down right over the audience. Of course. Oh, don't Mateos get me started. and I were doing a duet when we saw each other. <laughs> oh, we did it. Yes, we did it on the streets of Tel Aviv. Oh my God! Like music from Phantom, you did a duet from Phantom. Yeah, we did, and wow. among others. Wow. <laughs> Nobody so has the audience who doesn't know this. Oh, anyway. So you have an acting background, and Linda was a wedding star. And I don't musical. know if we ever. Yeah, so uh, you I... have talent. You both have talent. Well, it's very different for me to be doing Phantom on the streets of television. No, honestly, so. I I I always said this like I don't when I was young, you know, I always went to karaoke and stuff, and I don't have natural talent like Linda. I but I love oh, it. So different. for me, it's like I always said I do it anyway, and if I learn how to sing yeah. one day, it's for the benefit of the audience, not mine, because I do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a therapeutic outlet. It's yeah, a part of our. Exactly. Know, yeah. yeah. I know. It's an extension of your it's an extension of the voice, but an extension of yourself as well, you know. 
But yeah, anyway, then I went, got to America. Okay, I'm going to have to cut the long story short. And then, of course, I was like, oh my God. Oh my God, this is all I dreamed of. I can't go back ever. I was only meant to be there for two weeks. But of course, my mom had already clocked probably actually was banking on the fact that I would want to stay. So very crafty. On the phone, just uh, two days before, I call her from the payphone at San Diego State University parking lot thing. Yeah, and I then, remember um, payphones. Yeah, right? <laughs> Have to explain to the kids what those are. Yeah, and then I call her, oh, mom, I don't want to go. It's two days to go. She was like, okay. So your, um, your grandma and I have already talked about this. And if you want to stay, you can stay. We'll pay, you know, for your education there, but you have to study because it's a student visa. And at the time they give student visas for a year. So even though it was two weeks, I had a a whole year. And then of course, if I enrolled, I will have my visa renewed anyway. And I was like, oh my God, but I was in the last year of uni actually, because I got into uni early anyway. So, you know, it was- For those Americans listening, uni is university in Europe. Oh, yes. What is it in America? Varsity? College. No, we just call it college. Yeah, I've had people, you know, Fahrenheit, yeah. Celsius, you know, we, we always have another word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, good to know. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I had a diva moment. Of course I had to have a diva moment. I thought, oh my God. Okay. Hang on. I hung, I hung up the phone, went to the toilet, look in the mirror, start talking to myself. We're going to do this. You know, I was like, go get in tiger type of thing. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I know. And then I went back to the phone, called my mom and said, I'm doing it. I'm staying. And that was it. And then my friends even placed bets of how long I would last. Uh, the longest one was six months. About 22 years later, here I still am. Were you in on the West Coast? And that that's how you kind of got yeah. into tech? And, and you just, so where well, you were at, go uh, ahead. Yeah. That, no, that's where it comes into tech. I forgot what the question was. Right. Yes, that's where uh, tech happened there. Because then I said, okay, I'm staying. Forget the unit that I was doing, which was linguistic translation and uh, language studies. I said, uh, okay, so what I'm going to be doing? And my family's paying for me now this time. So I don't really have much of a say. So I'm going like, okay, how about acting? Nope. <laughs> how about music? Nope. Ugh. Okay. And then my mom's like, you do spend a lot of time on the computer. You spend the nights on your computer all the time. You know, maybe there's something there because you seem to really like it. Of course, I was doing all kinds of things in my computer uh, all night and not necessarily, you know, was interested in the computer science part of things, but I was as well, to be fair. Like I also, I played a lot of games on, on, on them as well. But for example, the games wouldn't work or at the time in my 486DX with turbo button that made wow. it 66 had, megahertz. Yeah, um, the DX had the math code processor. Exactly. The SX did not. That That's why the 46 eight. sucks. That shows you always wanted the decks, yeah. (laughs) Though, with those, you really had to work hard if you wanted to play Alone in the Dark 3 or if you wanted to run uh, colonization, civilization, whatever. So, yeah, so I ended up inevitably, you know, uh, screwing up my Autozac bat, my configs, you know, and spending the whole night trying to troubleshoot that. So, yes, I was interested, but I didn't know programming, I don't have anybody in my family who's in computer i was literally yeah. the odd one out because everyone in my family is like uh judges and lawyers you know and uh, that kind of stuff so it was i have a funny story i have to share yeah you will appreciate this so yeah. for those that don't know prior to windows just being core os in the ms dos days we had two files windows was just a program that would launch program manager on top we had two files that would launch on startup, autoexec.bat, which was a batch file, and config.sys. So I had, a, this goes back to college. We talked about this on another podcast. And he's a CTO of a big company now. I, I, he, to this day, thanks me for starting his tech career. This is how I started his tech career as Dave. We had computers back then where you got it. This is uh, NJIT in uh, Newark, New Jersey. And he, he was a mechanical engineer, did not have a lot of experience with computers. So I went into his autoexec.bat file and it said, virus detected, you, all information lost, please return PC immediately to service center, which is we're in the middle of Newark. So he, this is this heavy, uh, it was a 386DX. He would have had to carry this with the monitor all the way back 
didn't tell him a thing. And then uh, you could do beep, beep, beep in the auto exec bat. So every time I would hear him turn out to do, do homework, it would be beep, 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 please return this. And he's like, have you seen this message before? And I would be like, I don't know, Phil. I, I think that, that sounds pretty serious, man. I think uh, maybe you should carry that down. And he was like, no. So he this guy went and got a book on MS-DOS and read it front to back and uh, went to me and he said, nice job on that. Nice job. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, you know, so autoexec config.sys, you know, that exactly. was your computer. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah. That I know. That is, do you even know what that is, Linda? Do you know what we're talking no, about? No, I'm learning from Linda you. Knows Linda knows everything. I'm learning. I, I no, have, she's I young. She wouldn't know what autoexec is. And you shouldn't anyway. We moved on not, from that. Thank God. You see, it helps li- listening to these stories. So for anyone, you know. all, all you need to know, Linda, and the younger people, you know, uh, listening to this, is that we had to work really hard really to get hard the things we wanted. These days, you just download and when you were a boy, run. When yeah. you were, my my kids call me out on that. I try hard not to say when I was a boy because <laughs> we all have different challenges. No, yeah, but, you know. True. So you you go through this. You're you're well, you've decided to go down the tech career. How did you get a job at AWS? Okay, well, that's the thing. Well, that's a huge leap. But that just to solidify the story, although it was my uh, my mom that made me then go into computer science, maybe, well, kind of. But you know, it's something that you know. I still, I was like, okay, yeah. I'll tell you what. The moment I fell in love with it, and it never left me to date to this very moment to when after this when I go back to see what I do was when I got into my very first computer science class after doing uh, two acting classes and music class that they didn't know I was doing because they didn't understand the American system that you could right. choose classes, but whatever. Right, uh, right. Anyway, because yeah. <laughs> in Brazil, it's like, you're doing this, that it's set. You know, these are the classes you're doing. Oh, there's so. no like extra curriculum. No. So they thought I was doing computer science degree, which is on computer science class. But anyway, I did eventually. It's the best. I took Japanese yeah. sword making as an elective in my computer what? science degree. Oh. Okay. You there's not enough. Okay, yeah. there's not enough time to explore everything. <laughs> what? Okay. Anyway, we can talk about that later. It was like when I go into my first class, and it was a C class. It was a, a C programming class. And then the teacher he started by writing a main function on the whiteboard, and then waiting for people to come in. But I got in early, and I just kept staring at that. And I remember thinking, "Oh my God, I must understand this." You know, just start already. You know, like yeah. it looked like uh, like aliens had come to Earth and written alien language. I was like, "What is this? What is this?" And and even like the hype that I experienced for like five minutes or so because people were still coming in, it stayed. It's so simple and so stupid, but it stayed with me to date. That yeah. I must know this. You know, that curiosity that just just oh, like Hold I got hungry. Yeah. yeah, I got that hungry love for of it. learning. The love of learning will always bring you success. And yeah, actually, especially I, like I've hung out with Mateus and just you feel his absolute passion. Too much. Wow. <laughs> I love it. No, it's, like, it's inspiring. I, no, it's and annoying. But no, yeah, no, no, like no never, honestly. Never ending learning. And, and no, honestly, yeah. And the achievement, you know, that it was once I learned that, it was like, oh my God, I understood that. And I learned that. Is that that adrenaline that for me is the same like is you know, you get physically, you know, going to the gym and all that. I so, agree. okay, to answer your question, AWS, wow, we're fast forwarding then from 1999 to uh, 2020. So I actually, oh God, everything with me, a long story. I'm really annoying. Um, okay, how am I going to make this short? Your story is also very interesting. We'll record the full story of your life on another <laughs> pod, I promise. Pretty, pretty much. What happened was- a very interesting story. I don't think any- I have to say this: you have one of the most interesting stories. Because oh, thank very, you. Like, you say that to everyone. Acting, guess. music. There's just now. I'm also, now like, I'm super curious. Okay. But I, want, <laughs> I want to keep us on track, Linda. We're at like 22 minutes. Okay, I okay. know. I'm so sorry. Uh, okay, so the how did I get to AWS? Pretty much previous. Okay, two so years. advocate right out of the gate. Or no NSA. No, See? Solutions Architect. Like, Developer Advocate SA is super is new to com- me. Yeah. Developer Advocate for me, it's yet to Fun another. fact, Mateus. I was yeah. uh, denied as an SA. I interviewed it? at Amazon really? in 2011 as an uh, SA, and they didn't want me. <gasps> oh, wow. See, and you didn't bear a grudge because you came back. I did. Or you, I came back or you in came 2013. Back to, to say, went, See what you missed out on? <laughs> you know what? I feel like 
sometimes if anybody's listening to this and you got that rejection note and you got whatever, it just wasn't the right time. Yes. I had a similar experience. I, I interviewed as NSA in the past and I, through that interview, realized what gaps I had and was able to land a job at AWS two years later. So like, I think the interviewing process also teaches you a lot about things that you might have gaps in or things you need to improve on. And I actually shifted roles because of that interview to an SRE. Wow. So I feel like, I feel like yeah. things happen at the right time. So anybody again listening to agree. A hundred thousand percent. And that- taught me how to cry in front of a whiteboard because I couldn't answer the coding question. Did you actually? Inside, I did. All right. You know, I still have to be tough outside. So <laughs> I cried inside. Yeah. I mean, that does connect with how I ended up in AWS in so many deep layers and levels as well. But yeah. to be simplistic about it, I did have a failure experience just before AWS. And the failure was, for the past 10 years of my career previous to AWS, my speciality was actually .NET stack. I was very focused on Microsoft stack. And um, yeah. so I was very... I never worked for Microsoft, but I worked with them a lot and, you know, even developed an application at some point, whatever, together. But, and I had startups and blah, 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 lots of story there. But anyway, then it got to a point in my career, I was mostly contracting uh, towards the end of it. And I had done like a CTO job, like technical director jobs and things like this. So for me, I was like, I needed the next challenge. What is the next challenge? And I thought, oh, I'm going to be Zuckerberg. I don't know, you know, tech entrepreneur. So that's something I haven't done proper because I had startups, but I had never done like proper, like with business partners and investors, you know, and the whole shebang. Uh, so I was like, okay, uh, let's try this. And just when I was thinking about that, something came my way and I accepted. So I became tech co-founder of a startup and Long story short, uh, it was a horrible experience, an absolutely horrible experience, which I felt like I went from to be feeling like I was on top of my career to feeling like this is the bottom, like this, you know, I, I screwed it up, you know, and 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 that was combined with pandemic. So, you know, the psychology was weighing heavily. That's Contractor cool. market market wiped out. So what I knew before is not there anymore. I felt... You know, I, I didn't feel like I, I made good decisions and I wasted two years of my career life um, that I did not want to shout about, you know, because me and my business partners really did not get along in the end, you know. So, yeah, it was a horrible human experience, not even a like business experience, business as well, but horrible from a human point of view. So I was pretty down. And um, and I thought the obvious Microsoft invested in, in that business. So I thought like my my natural progression will be, I'm going to go to Microsoft because that's what I know. That's what I've been preaching about. That's, you know, and zilch, tumbleweed, you know, and then who knocks on my door? AWS. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, I, I knew Azure inside out very well, but AWS is not something I had dedicated my time to. So I knew of it. I didn't know it. You know what I mean? So I was pretty, I was pretty um, honest with the, I forgot what the title is, uh, was it HR manager, whatever it is, that contacted me. And I said, look, I don't have much knowledge of AWS. I do have 20 something years of career now, not nearly 20 at the time, but I don't know AWS. They're like, that's fine. Because our culture is that we want people with certain, you know, personalities, you know, levels of curiosity, levels of, check, check our leadership principles, see if it resonates with you. And really, as long as you can learn, that's all we need. And I was like, wow, okay. And then I said, sure. And then I went through the loop and uh, and then I got it. And honestly, it's like, just to go back to what you guys were saying, it's one of those things that, wow, I understand that failure now. Because right. if that failure hadn't happened, I would have just gone, and, no, it's not my thing. You know, I don't know AWS. You know, I was completely, yeah. the pandemic, everything just came together to change my life, to give new life to my career after 20 years, I have a oh, yeah. new life, you know, and it's so exciting. Well, thank, you know, uh, thank you for being so real and vulnerable because I think this is what people need to hear right now. And I, I love this episode for that. You know, there's a, this is in hermeticism, but there's a universal law of rhythm, 
you know, it's a, it's a sine wave, it's up and it's down. And when you feel like you're in, you know, you'll hear people say, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the valley right now, you know, or you're at the peak. And what I've learned is when you're in the valley, remember that too will end, this too shall pass. And when you're at the peak, be present. Like you, you own it to be present, to know that nothing lasts forever and yeah. to enjoy that and to know there'll be another valley, but then there'll be another peak. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel like, so I, I did work at Microsoft for seven years. I actually helped launch Azure. There's some Dave Azure courses out there somewhere. Oh. It was Windows Azure at the time. And, uh, you know, what? Uh, in the end, we're all same place, right? Mm-hmm. So if you ever have any regret that you didn't work for Microsoft, you know, just another place with a bunch of people working on cool stuff, you know, so it's, you should feel real proud of, of where you are. And I, I want to ask you this because, so because of the timing that you've done everything, the, the, the entire, and there's still, I, to this day at AWS, I do have people that are like, oh no, they haven't heard of the cloud or we're convincing the cloud because it's a big world and there's companies all over in every country in the world. Yeah. And so you probably have this, you know, this first hand experience on a monolithic, both technology stack, yeah. but culture. Yeah. And what has been your approach through all of that, of this, you know, you hear about cloud and cost and everything, but just microservices yeah. and that, that approach, you, you probably had just a wealth of experience in that area. I do because that gap that I skipped between 1999 and then <clears throat> starting AWS, <clears throat> what happened? <clears throat> oh God. Take a drink. Uh, what the hell? It's a drink right. of coffee. That, it's not yeah. anything else. We're we're early folks. It's coffee. <laughs> that gap between 1999 and 2020, what happened there was that I progressed from junior developer to, and I've done so many different job roles and stuff, but eventually yeah. I landed in my specialty, which was digital transformation. And of course, because I'm a dinosaur, as you have uh, pointed out subliminally there, I, I did go from... Um, seeing the whole monolith thing and the evolution to SOA and, you know, SOAP and XML and SAMO and all that kind of stuff. And then actually seeing this becomes more and more mainstream and rest and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I I have this thing of always betting on the right horse for some reason. I don't know. I'm very lucky. Never won the lottery. But when it comes to tech, I always kind of look at something and go, I think this is it. This is actually going to stay. Yeah. This has staying power and it's going to actually be significant, you know, for the future or for other things. And, and I, I don't know, somehow I can pick through hype and hashtags. It's not luck, my friend. It's intuitive. Yeah, Yeah, maybe. People nowadays write that off, but you're feeling intuitively the direction. I heard something a while ago is the best phrase I've heard is that in tech, when there's a big wave coming, you either learn how to surf or you drown. Mm, Yeah, for sure. So you always saw the wave. You knew when it was time to surf. For sure. Yeah. And no, you got a I, smile I, on I, your I, face I, while you're surfing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And and lights up everybody around him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I yeah. I would go in with this my that that was my specialty. I would go in with this mindset. Let's change all this. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, so <laughs> no. Wait, but, you're the person I want to pull when things break. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We will fix this up. Exactly. The whole thing is falling apart. <laughs> it's like, it's okay. all right. There's still time for the pub. Uh, <laughs> no, but um, yeah, so I specialize in that because first agile. So I advocated for agile way before it was a hashtag because I saw that also yeah. transition from waterfall to agile thinking. And I thought even from a development point of view, that was going to be important. It wasn't just a project manager revolution. And it was, as we know. And then, you know, for me, microservices was just something that followed from that because it pertains to the same uh, benefits, to the same movement of agility, of scalability, of compartmentalization, of tasks and responsibilities, you know, because... Everything gets bigger and bigger and bigger. We know this, right? It's all like, look at data, the way it's been going. We know this. We went from a floppy disks to blah, 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 blah. So now we are on petabytes of, you know, foundation models, why not? So everything only gets bigger because there are more humans and there's more immediacy of information and data that you can exchange. 
we're just talking about that before the show started, how we have a million messages. Because, yeah, if uh, you can send 10 messages in five seconds and you have 10 friends send you 10 messages, that's it. Now you're going to have fine time to catch up with all that. So, you know, and I saw microservices as a very clever, uh, synthesized way of addressing these problems. And so very early on, I started specializing, I guess is the word, but I never really formally specialized in it. I just literally did it. And in and as a contractor, I'll tell you, I don't know if it's career advice because to each their own, but it worked for me. As a contractor moving around a lot, especially in the early years of my career, it helped me see a lot of the do's and don'ts. You know, mm. It helped me see companies that were so different in size and approach and culture, dealing with different problems in different verticals and everything. And that experience was just, a, I just absorbed, absorbed and, and was able to then draw conclusions, you know, and some of those matched the accepted, you know, mainstream conclusions that we arrived at today, which for me just validated that, okay, I'm in the right path in thinking about this. I love that. So speaking of, because you had that kind of experience of seeing different angles of the business too, I know right now and in general, like people think about cost optimization, right? And yeah. cost optimized architecture. Do yeah. you feel like when people ask monoliths versus microservices, is that the right question? No. And I just did a, a talk on it where I actually was at the London Summit, the AWS London Summit, but I, um, I started the conversation by saying, look, the thing is, Monolith versus microservices really is just uh, centralized architecture versus distributed architecture. It's just that microservices is right now the present iteration of where we are. But what I even said on the talk is that I think it's crazy that we fight, you know, against, for example, using microservices or using this solution, that solution. Like we all solutionizing when the world is distributed. The world is plugged into distributed architecture. My mom expects her movie to start on her phone, resume on her tablet, and resume at home on her TV when she gets there right. seamlessly. Everything is distributed these days. So the question is not what we're using, it's not microservices, it's not monoliths, it's how you're solving that distributed nature of, of all the, the, the processes, devices, daily life, things that we do in in these days you know and the only thing for me is that microservices obviously lends themselves nicely to uh, an alignment because everything is distributed these days you know so it's well aligned with these problems but it doesn't mean that that's where the conversation stops or even starts no that's a great point it's like so pretty much because people are having a lot of debates on the solutions right as, as like yeah before and not thinking about the problem. Yeah, it can be very simplistic because, of course, oh, we need to scale, microservices scale, let's do microservices. Now, I'm not one to suggest go and do monolith. It's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, as usual, if you start by latching onto a solution, you may actually miss out on requirements. And one example, which everybody was talking about, was the whole uh, Prime Team blog post where yeah. they consolidated, you know, uh, services into a monolith. And everybody's like, oh, monoliths are back. It's not that monoliths right. are back. But the thing is, if you only focus on the word microservices and the solution microservices, you're missing out on cost optimization opportunities, on performance opt optimization opportunities. Because I'm going to get a bit philosophical. What is a monolith? What is a microservice? You know, like if you use a program on your computer, is that a monolith or my, you know, even if it's powered by microservices, like you still, you're using a software that you have to install or like you're playing a game, you have to install. And there is a big monolithic part to it. So even microservices behind the scenes, you may be distributed in communication, but you may have what I'm calling, I don't know, in my head, and I know there is a term out there, but I'm not sure it aligns the way I think micro monoliths you know which are really the 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 units that you have behind the microservices which may be consolidated like the prime team did for performance reasons so you may have a lot of stuff that is cohesive that needs to live together but there's still a gate and that gate is a microservice because it needs to connect with distributed architecture and distributed things in this world so it, it's a mix of solutions you know to solve your problems. Yeah. 
and and I and I love how you're phrasing it more to be less like focused on that like end game and more like what and companies evolve and like it's like I think even in the prime example this was a very specific part it wasn't yeah. everything it was like a specific part of that they they maybe rolled back something or a hundred percent like without had to use Rust too. We yeah. had Tim on and was talking about the benefits of Rust as a language, I love which Rust. is just so, yeah, it's just so performant. It gives yeah. you the ability, like, you know, try going back monolithic with Java. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> not, exactly. not that I'm kicking any language at all. I'm just saying we live in, you know, 2023 where languages have been optimized too. A lot of this depends on how you're writing things, not just 100%. how you're architecting things. Yeah. And, and the advantage of microservices, as we know, is that you can not only mix and match technologies and languages, but you can also easily replace if you're doing things right, you know, in the right context without getting too bogged down into microservices, you know, uh, the, the more uh, deeper levels of the, the architecture and the tech. What the Prime team did um, is simply refactoring within the bounded context. And that is, for me absolutely in line with microservices. It doesn't betray it. It simply implements the very thing that we try, you know, when I say we, I mean, people who are passionate about microservices or they teach about microservices. Or what we preach is you absolutely should optimize within the bounded context. And that could mean monolith, you know, if you want to call it that. It could mean whatever. But it's still microservices. And the reason why is because, again, it aligns with the distributed architecture of the problems that we have to solve. Yeah, I feel like, you know, you're talking about focusing on what are the problems and not just getting swept up in whatever tech wave is coming across. Have you mm -hmm. seen, have you learned, what have you learned from all these companies that you've been working with that have found them in this kind of state where they're like, there's something we need to fix, whether it's our architecture, uh, what, like what's the underlying problem? What if, what kind of advice would you give to the listeners? So, like I said, I've seen companies of so many different kinds with so many different approaches, including that, that one I mentioned before, AWS, my startup, you know, I think there are, uh, first of all, you got to look at your business objectives always. Um, microservices doesn't pay the bills, you know, it's, it's what it produces, you know, it's what it helps you support or right. what it helps you launch, you know, that will pay your bills. So you got to understand exactly what you want, but it's not just about business. And this is where I think some business go wrong. It's not just about the business outcomes in terms of the profit or the application be launched, but also the culture of the of the company. So sometimes where microservices go wrong is where there is a clash because businesses want to run the old-fashioned way when you have waterfall and monoliths and everything was centralized, not just the architecture, but the culture. And microservices promote more empowerment of the, you know, of the smaller teams, the agile way, you know, the cross-functional teams, the uh, that allowing people to be responsible for their own applications even and be invested in it. So there's right. a whole cultural uh, part to it as well that if you don't embrace, you get bogged down because there's not one DevOps team that will be able to support 10, then 100, then 1,000 microservices if it's all funneled you know, through alignment with business capabilities and not where you want to go with your application, whether it's innovation, whether it's migration, it doesn't matter. So my advice is, first, understand the kind of company you are. Are you a startup with three people in your team? Are you a medium-sized company who you have some momentum and you want to modernize, but you also need to look after already tens of thousands of customers maybe that depend on you so you can do big bangs? You know, Like Martin Fowler famously said, if you go for a big bang, all you can guarantee is a big bang, nothing else. So, you know, you got to be careful. Or are you a large corporation like ourselves, AWS, who can afford to have a lot of people dedicated to transforming something like Amazon did going from monolith to microservices back then, you know, and while you're keeping the other parts of your business alive, you know, on a more traditional architecture um, and then converge eventually. So really, really deeply understand your business, understand your developers, give them a voice, give them a chance because, you know, you also want people to be excited. Microservices can be hard work, sure, but everything can if you're not motivated. You need to make sure everybody's on board. I love that you mentioned the culture aspect because I feel that's something that gets forgotten even like on the DevOps, just general DevOps. And it is a culture, right? 
And yeah. so many terms also evolve too. And it just gets very, I think people tie to like one solution or serverless versus not, you know, everything's like very, it's never like it's 50 shades of gray, not yeah. black or white, but yeah. hundred um, percent. Okay, Mateus, I'm, I, I need to know, what are you most excited? Like, I, you have so much experience and like, and I, even with, as a startup and enterprise, all these different things too. Can you tell me what you're most excited about in tech right in now? Te oh. Well, the thing is, if I don't say Gen AI, I feel like I'm lynched <laughs> at this point in time, right? But um, no, but like, I, I am pretty excited about Gen AI. I, I think Gen AI is something that we all knew about, right? We know we've been working on it for years. All these companies have been working on it for years. But in 2023, it has captured the public's imagination. And this is when a technology then go from just being a technical foundation to being part of human culture and society. So I think AI has now entered that realm, like the internet. It's the next- AI has entered the chat. Internet. Yeah, exactly, right? So, I mean, for my mom to be saying AI, it's like, why do I say, my mom is on my mind, it's like the third time I'm talking about. Yeah, I know. It's the, it's the first one. Mateus, tell yeah. me about your mother. <laughs> <laughs> so many jokes. Okay. <laughs> if I tell you about my mother, she won't understand anyway. I'm sure her, her English is okay. Yeah, it's better um, than she makes it out to be. But, uh, but she doesn't listen to this techy stuff. And your English is fantastic, by the way. If you had uh, not said. Uh, yes. uh, like, I used to be. I used to be like in America was so annoying. Like I would have my friend Crystal. I would tell her, can you please correct me every time? I want to have the perfect American accent. And I would just, I would, I would try to sound like a Valley girl from a Hollywood movie, you know, in America. So I would Man. sound American, you know, and I would go like up like that all the time and whatever. And then Crystal turned to me like after one month of trying to teach me, she was like, I'm giving up you're not going to be able to do this. So just be yourself. I said, okay, whatever. Yeah. I love Can't the way you speak. It's, it's so great. And it's it's probably clearer than my New York accent. And I'm no, very, it's not. Yes, it is. I speak so quickly. I'm trying to pace myself right now. No. I, I swallow my vowels because I'm from Brooklyn. Okay. No, but this is so. the thing. Like I started editing, you know, when I edit my videos and stuff, I, I look at me, I go, why? Why do you do this? Like I cut my words in half. I don't finish them. I'm so self-conscious. I have no idea. Like I'm, I'm easy on myself anyway. I'm not down myself. Like I'm not self-deprecating to the point where it affects me, but I am my worst critic as well as my best supporter. And I, I have to say, I am very self-conscious of it. I, I hate the way my diction, now my, that I know, I'm I'll so self-conscious. You know yes. You're no, I think that, uh, I think that's <laughs> a good thing. I think if you can edit or listen to yourself, watch a video yourself and not feel anything, there's probably something wrong. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. So where can people find you online, sir? I am everywhere at Cody Mateus. I do have my other stuff, like music and blah, blah, blah. But no, the one that matters is at Cody Mateus everywhere. So this year I rebranded, which means I reset a lot of my socials and stuff. And I, I'm fine with that because I don't care about numbers and followers. I mean, it's nice, but, you know, so I just kind of reset my socials and, and now they're all unified. So it's all at Cody Mateus. Started my Instagram from zero as well. All clean. So yeah, follow me. Do all that subscribe thing. <laughs> okay, Mateus, last last question. What are you most excited about from a personal standpoint? Anything exciting? So to oh Lord, the most exciting thing is that I am finally going to Japan in two weeks' time, oh, which I cannot. Konnichiwa. Hi. And, you know, Jap Japanese is something that I started learning. I started self-teaching because I speak different languages, but yeah. I hadn't learned a, a language in a while. So in 2020, just before the pandemic, I was, no, 2019, actually. So way before the pandemic, uh, way before, because it's still different timeline. Different yeah. Timeline. I, I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up a new language. And I thought it was going to be German because I spoke kind of a little bit of German at one point because of a boyfriend. But that's a sad word. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a good. Alles klar, genau. Ach so. Ich spreche kleine Deutsch. Ich verstehe ein wenig. But anyway, and then I uh, and then I started self-studying Japanese, and I picked up Japanese, something that I had mm. in my mind from when I was young, and I, you know, played video games all my life, like I told you, and I was fascinated with Japanese games, Final Fantasy specifically, that I couldn't Square play. Enix. That's the way to learn it. Yeah, and then I picked up a book, and then I've been self-teaching since 2020, and now, 
And I couldn't go to Japan because pandemic came. Japan closed doors. So it's been a dream to go to Japan. And now I am going with AWS for wow. uh, League of Legends game day. So doesn't suffice wow. that it's That's Japan. A combination of... I know. It's a game conference that I'm going to be uh, doing content, video, and stuff yeah. and hosting. Game day, League of Legends. And it's Japan. And Mateus, we just yeah. had... Uh, I never I never pre-announced stuff, but... Um... DevOps Jackie and I just interviewed Riot on their whole, uh, oh, how they do I, their CDN for content in league. And we're going to actually do something around esports. So maybe you come back for that. Oh, Moshiroi, this name. I know Jackie because um, uh, we hosted the first uh, League of Legends game day from Worlds yes. 2022 yeah. in San yeah. Fran. And that's how I got involved. And I met all the Riot Games uh, guys oh, as well. Amazing. It's uh, yeah, I mean, I am so excited and I'm going to be surrounded by Japanese. And it's going to be just like when I arrived in New York the first time that I was telling you in the beginning. And I remember sitting on the bus from the airport and looking at the signs and going, oh, they're in English, street signs are in English. And it's going to be the same feeling like I have. Oh, yeah. oh my God, everything's in Japanese. I'm going to freak out. It's and like a circle from your whole story. It's it was like, yeah, it's amazing. And, and when it, you see oh, that riot stuff, go go ahead, Linda. No, no, no. I was just saying, like he was talking about how he had like a bit of a just more of a, a low, right? And just yeah. incredible to like. And now you're going with with work, games, and bring all your yeah. talents, and just it's it just so comes together. I I love it, and and also it connects with that C story as well because Japanese is like I think what it is also I'm completely obsessed, right? Everything that I have is Japanese. My work computers in Japanese. Everything in Japanese. So um. For me, it's like something, it's an achievement. I started and I was like, oh my God, what is this? I can't understand anything. It's just like the C thing. Yeah. And now that's it. It's here, that moment when I'm going to go yeah. there and I'm going to be speaking Japanese. Are you spent? Are you playing a lot of your games with the original Japanese? Yeah, 100%. Dialogue on? Okay, that's playing the way to go. and replaying. Yeah, yeah a lot um, of them. I, I do that love. all the time. Yeah, all the time. I am. Um, and I was just going to say, I know for me, it was... Uh, Gosh, at the time, I've, I've had different jobs at Amazon, but at the time I was helping launch uh, Fire TV and uh -huh. uh, we had just launched uh, Amazon App Store and I was in Gamescom in Germany oh. and I walked into the league arena. Mm -hmm. So for anyone who hasn't seen an arena for esports with League of Legends, it is, I mean, just so many people, like you feel the energy of that, that kind of crowd. So yeah. the fact that you'll be doing all that, I am so excited for you. I, oh, I know. I appreciate you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for being so real, being no, inspirational. Man. We're in kind of those, one of those transitional times in tech. And I think it's important to talk about career journey and hope mm -hmm. for the future and, uh, you know, doing what you love and remembering, uh, you know, we're, we're all in this together. So Thank you so much for for taking the time today, sir. No, not at all. And just as a final advice to latch on to what you said for anybody looking for jobs, starting the career, or if you've been laid off with everything that's happened, you know, um, that uh, it's exactly what you said. If uh, it can be very easy for you to uh, latch on to what is the the best bet, what should I do? What you should do is find what you love because everything spawns from that like organically honestly it's you know if you love old school stuff then do do cobalt do whatever you know you will find your path and it may be a path that you don't know yet but it leads to it you know do what yeah. you love because there's no time in the world you know everybody time is flying stamina is limited the older you get the last time you have even you know and just do what you love and everything will, will fit into place. Love it. There's no better investment than the investment in yourself. 100%, because that's long-term. Linda, say goodbye. I don't want to say goodbye. I don't Aww. want to say goodbye. <laughs> yes, it's such a pleasure. And thank you for always being so inspiring and bringing always your full self to everything. And I think that it shines. When you're saying follow your passions, Be you're also very true to yourself. And I think that's how you find the right fit. Even your role right now as a developer advocate, you, it really, I could see how it takes all these different experiences that you've had. The acting, the people skills, the understanding of, of community, the, the tech aspect, the gaming aspect, all these different things in one. And it's just so wonderful to see. And your different experiences with enterprise and startups. So, all seeing it kind of come into like one place 
So you should be so proud. I'm so lucky to get to work with you. And I can't wait to be following you on socials and watching you in Japan and can't wait for it. And this is goodbye, but not really a goodbye because, you know, you'll hear us. Yes, hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> and Dave, I've got to meet you in person. <laughs> yes. Welcome to the Eight of Us Developers Podcast. My name is Linda. <laughs> Hi, Linda. It's so good to see you here today. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I was trying not to laugh. I was thinking, should I just turn off the camera? Because she's going to see me laughing. If this, if this makes the ending bloopers, this is because I'm trying to... Well, I, it is my fault for giving out giggle pills today. No, it's just I'm sorry. You... I, I gave everyone giggle pills. This is what happens. You hyped up this intro so much that I was just kind of waiting. I don't know what I was waiting for. I'm trying to be cognizant of the fact that I don't want to give people a heart attack right when they join. So I'm going to increase my tone slowly. <laughs> <laughs> Clap, clap, keep the energy going. No, clap, Linda, clap, let's clap. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AWS Developer. Blah, blah, blah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AWS Developers Podcast. My name is Linda. I'm here with Dave, and today we have a special, special guest, Mateo Samaraz, who is a senior. Who is a senior? What is he doing? Who? I understand. <laughs> Who's that person? Oh wait, it's a different guest. I shouldn't be here because I don't know who that is. Is that Mateo Samaraz? What's he doing? Who's it? Who, who are we talking to now? <laughs> I had no idea whose name that person was. <laughs> whose name that person was out of a sentence. <laughs> it was perfect. Eric. Oh, good. All right. Come on. You got the. You got it. And wait, wait. Here we go. In through the. No, wait. In through the nose. Okay. Out through the mouth. pronunciation? <laughs> Um, perfect. Did I f- pronunciation? You did everything perfect. Okay. Perfect. You got this. Okay. You got this. So let's do this. <laughs>